0: This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, making an offer that you can't refuse. The mafia themed round of game showy trivia. We don't want you to miss out as Kelsey Campbell joins us. Immigration lawyer Robert Blanchet helps us understand Canada's complicated and lagging immigration policy. Plus, get to hear some of the hoops refugees have to jump through to find safety in Canada. And Greg Fish is back with a bang here on The Shift, a big bang almost. We dive into the wild theory that claims the universe is twice as old as we had thought it was, and whether that's true or not. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast.
1: This is the Shift Podcast.
0: It's time for Game Showing. It's a game show on the radio where we battle it out for pride and so much more. Kelsey Campbell joins us from the middle of BC. Shane Hewitt joins us from the bottom half of Alberta. And we will be battling it out where the winner becomes a made man or woman. And the loser sleeps with the fishes. Here's your host, Ryan
2: O'Donnell! Hey, uh, thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Look, here's how this trivia thing's gonna work, okay? I'm only gonna explain the rules to you one time. Capiche? Capiche. This is the time of the week when we play game showy. we? We have some trivia... But this is a special edition. I'm on a massive mob kick right now. I've been watching documentaries, doing this, watching the Sopranos. It just makes sense that I test your trivia while we're learning some things, okay? So here's how this game works if you're new to it or if you need a little refresher, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Our contestants are going to pick a question and a difficulty of said question. Now today, we're playing for... I mean, we could play for anything, but every mobster has one too many gold rings on, like a giant gold ring. And so today you're playing ring. for gold rings. You can have a gold ring. Don't you want a gold ring? Uh, give it to your mother. She'd love it. Okay? Now, so one gold ring would be easy. <laughs> a three would be hard. Now, if you get the question right, you will hear this. Come on, Over here. Come over here. Give me the gabagool, okay? Now, if it's wrong, you're going to have a really angry Robert De Niro in your ear. Why, what are you,
0: stupid? What's the matter with you?
2: What's the matter with <laughs> oh, you? What's no. the matter with you, okay? I don't like a little Yeah, a little bit of name-calling. We've got three categories to choose from. A mob itself, mobster movies, and Dawn's the head honchos, okay? Now, we also have a very special question the listeners the shift heads alone it's hidden in the show and one lucky contestant will stumble across it and could win two gold rings okay when we hear it sorry when we find it it's going to sound like this
3: i want to make him an offer he can't refuse
2: okay now let me make you an offer that you can't refuse answer the question correctly they get two gold rings here's your question i want to know Oh, well, the offer is they answer the question and then they help whoever get gold rings. stumbled across it get two, two rings. That's the offer. You sleep okay, with the All right. Or they get a horse head in their or sorry, a mm. horse in their bed. You know, horse head in their bed. Mm. Godfather. Sounds I haven't watched nice. that in ages. Yeah. Anyway, here's your question, friends. Uh-huh. Name this mafia movie for me. The film stars Kevin Costner and Sean Connery as they try to take down Al Capone. Is it The Departed, American Gangster, The Untouchables, or Goodfellas? Again, name the mob movie starring Kevin Costner and Sean Connery taking down Al Capone, The Departed, American Gangster, The Untouchables, or Goodfellas. The number is 877-399-9898. That's it. That's all. That's the rules. All right, Game Showy
0: is on! Our categories are The Mob, The Movies, and The Dawns. Whatever you do, don't screw this up, or you could end up missing. Maybe gone, disappeared, or... And that was it. That was all. Oh, um, you just ran out the mob
2: <laughs> <laughs> Here's your host again, Tony. Hey, right, thanks, Tony. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, uh, so Shane <laughs> won last week. So Kelsey and yet a week. So good. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm really proud of it. Uh, Kelsey, you get to go. You're up first.
1: I'm such a a parrotter yep. that I, right. I want to. I I desperately want to try to do the voice too, but no, I would just butcher the crap out of it so i'm not gonna do it
2: (laughs) just watch a bunch of movies and you'll pick up on it that's how i do it
1: okay well i have watched a fair bit of mafia movies i think we'll see um so i'm gonna start with my comfort zone and go with the category Mm -hmm. of movies for three gold rings tony
2: for three gold rings okay Nobody makes Mafia movies like Martin Scorsese. It's like peanut butter and jelly. It's perfect. He's got a perfect record of making these films. But what was his first fully blown Mafia movie? Was it Casino, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, or The Departed?
1: Wow. I feel like Casino was early on. To be honest, the only one I've seen of all four of those is Goodfellas like 17 times. I've probably seen Goodfellas. But I feel like Casino is... And wasn't that the one... It was actually shot at the Flamingo, and which in yes. I think that's what made the Vegas Strip famous, the Flamingo famous was Casino. Oh, and I... Mm. Casino, Casino. I'm going to go... Yeah. Okay. God. I haven't seen anything more than Goodfellas. Casino was the earliest one. It was
2: Casino. Done. It was Casino. That's your fi- that's the answer. That was it. <laughs> you could that, mo- that was the mob approaching by the way. Uh <laughs> unfortunately, Kelsey Casino was not his first mob What are you me. stupid?
0: What's What's the matter stupid? You? What the matter with you no.
2: Shane has 5 seconds now and he could steal this answer if he knows it. Why can't it be about the
0: Irishman or Donnie Brasco? Those are the only two movies I know. Mm-hmm. That's my answer.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, because he also has no idea. <laughs> so, Kelsey, good use your time. Uh, Casino came out in 1995. Goodfellas 1990. Goodfellas was uh, the first fully-fledged one, one of the best movies ever made. Ray Joe Pesci who won yeah. a Best Supporting uh, Actor uh, for his performance in that film. Very good. Okay, well We're off to a shaky start. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have a cannoli and let's get back to it. Uh, I love
1: Shane's answer. (laughs)
2: Uh, No, no, no. Okay, so I'm going to go with the, I don't don't know.
0: Movies, like what are we doing here? Real life mob, I thought we were doing, not pretend life mob. Okay, uh, I'm going to go with the mob for Mm
2: -hmm. three gold rings. Three, okay. All right, let's do it. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of terms. These are mafia slang. Mm-hmm. And I need you to kind of translate it for me, okay? So here's mm-hmm. your question: What do you call the upper level management in the Italian mafia? Mm. Is it the omerta, a capo, administration, or goomba? Hmm. Amerto, uh, I, I know that's like bravado. That part I
0: don't know. Capo, I'm pretty sure is a martial art. Uh, goomba sounds like you like a like dessert. So I'm gonna go with administration. Well, Tony. So
2: Amer- all of those are real mount ma- mafia slang, all of those. Mm. But the correct answer is administration. Yes, nice. administration is correct. Well done. Ooh. Hey. Ooh. Okay, so Amerta is a code of silence. You join the mob, you can't talk, you can't be a rat, although what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Stays in Vegas, that kind of thing. A capo is a mob member who leads the crew. So like oh. at the start of the Sopranos, Tony Sopranos, a capo. That's and then gross. a Goomba is an associate of the mob, like a, a kind of like a senior level of it. So, yeah. Right. And also a enemy in Mario. Ah. <laughs> it's, it's a strange it's, Yeah, coincidence. But of course. But of, of course. course. <laughs> so, well, of that's where I, I go. go. All right.
1: Um, okay, I knew Kelsey. that one. I feel like everyone knew that one, Ryan, and I feel like that was just maybe too easy for three gold rings. Is that fair Mm -hmm. to say? Okay. Cement booting this guy. No complaining
0: in the mob, lady. Yeah, fair enough.
1: Okay, well, I got to come out uh, hungry, greedy for rings. Um, Okay, (laughs) Don's, three gold rings.
2: Tony. Three gold rings, okay. All right. Now, this isn't actually a question about a Don. It's about a guy who took down the Don. What was the name of the FBI agent who, using the alias Donnie Brasco, <gasps> infiltrated the Bonanno yes. crime family? What was Donnie Brasco's real name? Is it Joe Pistone, Angel Bruno, Thomas Hagen, or Russell Baffino? Yes. <laughs>
1: I know Shane would know this one, and I love that I know it. And it is <laughs> Joe Pistone. <laughs> hey,
2: hey, Joe Pistone. Get over here. That's correct. Well done. God. Yes. God, we good. had that. Over um, here. Remember we had the uh, that
0: undercover FBI Hell, guy. Remember? Hells remember? Angel? Yeah, the guy. The Hells was, Angel yeah. guy. And Hell's he knew Angels? that yes. from the inside. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: good. What a yeah. life. It's, it's, What a what life. What a life.
2: He was... Infiltrated from 1976 to 1981, and mm-hmm. uh, he gave the FBI information needed to federally convict a huge amount of the people inside of the five families. Just a That's legendary cool. performance. All right, we got a tie game. All right, um, three gold rings apiece.
0: Okay, well, I'm staying away from movies because that scares me. Um, I like to, I'm okay with mob. I like the mob things. I don't like the mob things. I mean, I'm not saying like I would. I'm just, I. The mob
2: for two rings, We don't please. condone the mafia. It's just interesting to talk about. We don't condone. Disclaimer. Mm, hey, yeah. condone. <laughs> well,
0: I said two gold rings, please. Don't.
2: Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you actually made your pick there. Okay. Hey, Anthony. All right. I'd like two we got gold rings. I didn't a... know was <laughs> happening either. Yeah. yeah, okay. We have another dose <laughs> like of, a lot uh, of mafia. <laughs> yeah. A lot of words. A lot of accents. Uh, we have another dose of uh, mafia slang here. Okay. So, Shane, what Ooh. is a saying... For cleaning up, hiding, or getting rid of evidence in the mafia. Mm. Is it spring cleaning, exterminating, bleaching, (laughs) or dry cleaning?
0: Well, I know it's not bleaching. That is completely unrelated.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's bad. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Ryan, why do you throw him these watermelons and then I've got to take it to HR and it becomes this whole thing?
2: i'm just like a i'm a butterfly you know i don't see, I just I see the good things in my questions shame <laughs> takes the nugget and turns it into something else
0: anyway well, um cleaning up okay so exterminating would be probably the process of uh making the mess and dry cleaning sounds expensive and spring cleaning sounds like the way to
2: go so i'm gonna go with the spring cleaning there tom a little bit of spring cleaning is correct. Yes. That's uh that's what the word they use. Code word. Over here.
1: Really? Over here.
2: Yeah. Spring I would have cleaning. thought
1: dry cleaning. Yeah. I guess I'm gonna take you to the cleaners. That's they different.
0: Clean it.
2: Different things, no, that's,
0: see? That's the front for the money laundering, is the dry cleaning. They couldn't do both. That'd be too confusing. <laughs> also, the bleaching in the salon is probably yeah. another front for money laundering, to be honest. <laughs> yes.
2: Okay, so we're doing okay. pretty good here. Five to three. <laughs> Kelsey's red. Yeah, try to have some fun.
1: Okay, distraction, distraction, shiny object, yep. and let's go movies
2: for two gold rings. Hey, look at you. Watch you the luckiest one? Yeah. That's the next line special.
3: I wanna make him an offer camera for
2: well. Okay. So the question was for the shift heads alone. Name the Mafia movie, starring Kevin Costner and Sean Connery as they tried to take down Al Capone. The options, The Departed, American Gangster, Untouchables, or Goodfellas. All of those are outstanding movies, but only one of them is about Al Capone. And I'm happy to say, as I poured through a absurd amount of texts, 98% of people texted in the same thing. And uh, yeah, the correct answer is what they texted in, which is The Untouchables. Yes. Well done.
1: Congratulations.
2: Two, nominated for four Academy Awards. And Sean Connery actually won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. So if you are an actor trying to win a Oscar, being a side mm-hmm. character in a Mafia movie is a great way to get an Oscar. It's, mm. it's got a bit of a track record there. Well Amazing done, list of Text you to... messages. Just yes, to say. yes. People yeah. are getting in on the mafia fun of the text line. Ooh.
1: Ooh. I want to hear some of it. What What are people saying? Oh, nothing Something different. Just say, stuff.
0: Just CJ and Peter Burrow, Like, just this massive list of untouchables. There's the odd good fellows. Um, there was um, some trivia bits come in. Capo comes in. Just some miscellaneous, but just, just like untouchables, 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 untouchables. Great. Well done. But
1: like, like, do, would would you say there's like any? Like compliments for my performance so far oh, in game show. Uh,
0: do you want me to like uh, search Kelsey? Um, I can do that. Yeah, if
1: you could, um, and yeah. try some While misspellings. You do that, Shane. Try with Chelsea.
2: Like just see Chelsea. If <laughs> I've
0: heard that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, back to the show.
2: There is a text uh, saying that I'm up to shenanigans, and they want it. Yeah. They can take care of me if you want. Which is uh, no, 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 no. I'm the dawn here right now. Okay. Ooh, no taking care of me. All oh,
0: right.
1: I um, like it. Okay.
0: Okay, so I'm going to go for two gold rings. Our categories are Mob, Movies, and Dons. So I'm going to go for the Dons for the two-pointer there, uh, Tony. Okay.
2: All right. Which of these was one of the nicknames John Gotti was known by? The Godfather, the Teflon Don, the Ringer, or Espresso? Uh, that's the Teflon Don there. Tony. Uh, Teflon Don. The Teflon Don is correct. Yes. Over here. over here. Now, how did he get that name? Three <laughs> high profile trials all resulted in his acquittal, although uh, all of those trials had been tainted by jury tampering, juror misconduct, and witness intimidation. Yeah. Mafia written all over it. Yeah. Mm. He what? did eventually go to jail for murdering five people. Uh nothing and he died. sticks. Mm. Yep. Nothing sticks. Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, uh, we have time for one more question if we want no, to bother.
1: Don't say that. Sorry. Oh. We got okay, to
2: do
1: it. I, yeah, we're going to do it, but I need it. <laughs> I need a couple need more it. times. Like, yeah,
2: you need
0: okay. oh, it. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. To win yeah. the we're thing, the, the game,
1: the, the, the do the thing. All right. I'm going to go with, uh, let's stick with the Dons. One gold
2: ring for one gold ring it took uh, took a long time to get al capone and alcatraz but what was he finally indicted for murder illegal alcohol sale racketeering or tax evasion
1: okay okay if i say it fast can we do another question cuz i know this one and then i can i can tie the game and then i if can you
2: win stop rambling we might have time to <laughs> I mean, just go for it
1: yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> Tax evasion?
2: That is correct. Yes, tax evasion. That's what they got him on. Oh, Twenty-two wait. counts. Twenty-two counts. One more? We got time for one? No, more. we okay. don't have yeah. time for one more. We can
1: fire. Well, let's let's do them all. Huh? Come on. <laughs>
2: let's do them all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: let's get it done. Oh man. No. We're sorry to say, but we're out control? of time. I don't know. Come uh, Chelsea Chamble loses <laughs> by a score of seven six. Gold rings here on the
2: shift. Oh, this isn't working for me. We got to do this one instead. Yeah, you got to put the right music on here. What are you doing to me?
1: You know what, Shane Hewitt? I know a guy. You know,
2: you know a guy? A guy. What I'm
1: gonna say that's all I'm hey. gonna say about hey. our game being abruptly cut off. I know a Easy. guy. Okay. Hey,
0: remember I know that a guy? Shane you break Hewitt? your legs. Let's uh, reflect break your legs. on our time
1: with Shane. do
0: Doesn't bother me. <laughs> Not my problem. Cement boots coming your way. Uh, that's the end of the. Uh, that's the end of the game, Showy. Don't forget to have your pet spayed and neutered. And for five <laughs> extra bucks, I know a guy. He'll take care of it for you. Did we mention that uh, Kelsey came back and lost? So that's the way it goes. I guess. It's the end you of the story forget about it okay
1: please buy me something pretty okay
0: i'll buy you something pretty i already got you six rings baby (laughs) 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 you and i just went to the same place and we are not gonna say that on the radio uh because that's inappropriate okay so kelsey campbell is here and thank you very much for playing with game show we thank for everyone who got involved with the uh uh, the text line special tax evasion is actually i think the only way that they've really got any of the mm-hmm. the monsters in the past which is uh absolutely fascinating thanks for being here welcome back hope you enjoyed your vacation
1: i enjoyed it a heck of a lot more than losing this game i can tell yeah. you that much
0: <laughs> yeah but you're a winner at vacationing well done
1: i sure am thank you
0: <laughs> this is the shift podcast We stumbled across a story here on The Shift recently about a conference. It was the Canadian AIDS conference. And it was the staggering number of attendees and guests at this conference that really got our attention. It was a couple hundred people claimed asylum from this conference. And 15% of the guests that attended this conference came to Canada and said, we want to stay. I'm oversimplifying but you get the point. And so it raised some questions. And this is where we're, um, we're connecting with Robert Blanchet, immigration lawyer, vice chair, Canadian Bar Association, National Immigration Law Section. And Robert, thanks for being here. Um, appreciate you making time. I couldn't afford to do this myself if I had to pay you for it. So I appreciate you being here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> um, immigration law is kind of a fascinating thing. Uh, did you see this story about I mean, This seems to me like a large chunk of people. Is that fair?
4: That's fair to say, I'm actually quite surprised it's not higher for a conference really? like this, absolutely. I'm, I'm surprised really? it's not higher. Um, it depends on the nature of the conference. I mean, this goes on all the time. Uh, you brought up earlier the example of the Olympics, sporting events, Yeah. Um, non-governmental meetings, etc. For an AIDS conference, uh, y- you might have a percentage of the attendees who are themselves HIV positive or have AIDS or associated with that community and are coming from countries where there is severe discrimination or stigmatization or Mm. cumulative harassment of those that are positive or have AIDS or are involved with the AIDS community. And their only way to get to Canada, to get to a safe third country and claim asylum is by procuring a visitor visa, a temporary resident visa, for the purpose of attending the conference. This year it was in Montreal. So, in this
0: case, topicality actually might have been the the, the catalyst for it. You think? I mean, maybe uh-huh. it's healthcare access to medication. Anything. A hundred percent.
4: Yeah. You know, it could be access to medication. I, I would probably lean into the fact that. Those that claimed asylum were doing so out of a well-founded fear of persecutory treatment in their home country. So yeah, because they would have to claim a reason, wouldn't they? Well, of course they would. They would have to yeah. be the basis of their claim. Uh, those mm-hmm. that attended from the African continent or other regions where we know from objective documentary evidence, there there is persecutory treatment of those that are HIV positive or have AIDS or are affiliated with that community um sure good for them if they're coming to the country if they get a visitor visa in the first place if they're able to make it here and then they claim asylum
0: yeah i I don't think i think we take it for granted as canadians places we can go for that visitor visa right because we can just go to England and walk in and they barely even look at you. Um, The the whole EU rules is, you know, has changed that so much. Our ability to go to the States, we were offended when you had to, you know, provide your driver's license, right? We are like, what do you mean I have to show you who I am? Um, So we've had it pretty easy here. Some countries in the world, you actually have to ask permission just to visit. Right. And we don't often understand that. So maybe can you help us with what is asylum and how is it different? than you know just standard
4: immigration sure it's 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 a separate and unique category obviously essentially there are three ways to claim asylum to the government of canada one you can approach a canadian embassy or visa office in your home country and you can declare your intention to claim asylum two you can arrive at a canadian port of entry you can enter from the united states if it's a land crossing or through an airport one of the main airports in the country and you claim asylum at the port of entry three you gain entry into Canada, Uh, you gain entry by procuring a study permit, a visitor permit, a work permit, uh, and then you claim refugee status, or uh, we have those, some people would describe them as illegal crossings, we use the term irregular, irregular crossings, they cross the Canadian US border. And once they're inland, they they initiate an inland refugee claim. So those persons who attended the conference, the AIDS conference in Montreal, they would have initiated an inland refugee claim, they would have claimed asylum, and the next step for them would have been for Immigration Canada to hold an eligibility um, interview to determine whether or not they were eligible to forward the claim
0: right and uh I, I imagine investigation into the the truthfulness of the claim as well saying that if i go home they're going to kill me versus yes, of course i don't really like my job and my my house is a dump right like of
4: course of course right so, yeah you know, whether canadians are aware that the largest tribunal in the country is the immigration and refugee board of canada we really? have the Refugee Protection Division. The Refugee Protection Division is where refugees appear in order to have their claims heard by a board member. And obviously the number one issue, uh, determinative issue in the refugee claim is the credibility of the allegations. So it's not a free pass when you claim asylum in the country. You're ultimately going to have to go before the tribunal and have your claim heard and adjudicated by a member of the Refugee Protection Division.
0: The risks some people take. I mean, the notion that... Uh, And this is maybe more of a psychology question and statement than it is uh, an immigration one, but the risks people take. So if I'm in Africa and I'm an African, you know, country citizen, you know, going to a Canadian embassy and saying, hey, I'd like to come to Canada. Not a lot of risk there, but if you can get here and maybe this is the psychology part, a little sunk cost fallacy. Um, That now I've invested this much, it's harder to send me home. That's probably our perspective, not the government's perspective, because they have the resources to fly you home. But as humans, I think the humanity of it could be that sunk cost fallacy. And the risks people take, we've seen this with the immigration boats for England and Greece. Sure. uh, And we've seen this with the refugee boats, I should say. But you've seen this in Canada, especially those border crossings, Montreal and Ontario, where people are dragging suitcases in the snow from they're not... I'm assuming accustomed to the weather um, and from a completely different climate. And so the risks people take means that it's not easy.
4: No, it's not easy at all. I mean, there's the story. There was an Indian family that froze to death in Manitoba uh, trying to cross. I believe they were trying to cross actually from Manitoba into the United States. There's the story of a Roma family, a mother, father, and two small children. They hired a human smuggler to take them across the thousand islands into the United States from Canada. They Mm -hmm. they had exhausted all their applications in Canada and uh, the boat capsized and they drowned. So uh, refugees, those that are claiming asylum are uh, always taking a risk uh, by coming to the country and claiming asylum. If they're able to do so legally by procuring a visitor visa or a study permit or a work permit and claiming once they're inland, okay uh many sell their souls to a human smuggler many are paying right. 25 50 us dollars in their home country in order to um, have a human smuggler sort of you know hopscotch them through a variety of different countries before they make their way to Canada so of course it's a very treacherous risky path to claim refugees that is in Canada undoubtedly
0: Well, as an immigration lawyer, Robert, like you, you get to hear some of these stories and see what these people go through. Um, I met a guy, I was going for an ultrasound, and he was doing an ultrasound on my wrist. Of course, we got to chatting back home. He was a doctor. His wife was an anesthesiologist. They were both working in healthcare here because they hadn't been able to go through that whole process of, uh, you know, getting retested and doing that whole thing. It was taking forever. But at the same time, you know, he talked about how at home he's such a kind man, boy, he just gave the gist, gift of kindness in conversation. It was just amazing. I'll never forget that guy. And he but he talked about how at home we had butlers. I would rather be here doing this job with my family in this country, though, right? I love being a doctor, I want to be a doctor again, that's the goal. But I would rather be here doing ultrasounds and living in this climate without butlers right. and um, and servants and, and then be back there. You must hear some remarkable stories of when people are trying to come to Canada. Of
4: course, never in the history of the world have there been more refugees and IDPs, internally displaced pers- persons than there are today. Um, there are now global warming and pollution refugees. There are socioeconomic refugees. Um, there's a whole myriad of factors which create an intention or a motive or a desire, uh, in a person to flee their country and come to Canada or the United States. Very often they will go to the United States first and then come to Canada if things had not worked out for themselves in the U S but, um, sure they would trade off a butler and, and, and servants, et cetera, in their home country. Very often it's for their kids, it's for their children. They've come to Canada with their children and they want to get provide a better life for their kids. They want a better life for themselves. They want to live in safety and security. Uh, they want what we Canadians have and very often take for granted, um, which is, for the most part, a very safe and secure and healthy environment in our home country. And so, sure, people are giving up, are relinquishing lives, homes, butlers, families, Educational background, occupational experience, which won't be recognized as equivalent in Canada. uh, They're making huge sacrifices. But refugee claimants, I want to say, I'm doing this for 30 years. You know, talk about a resilient cohort of people. Um, You know, there are stories in the media of the Syrian refugees that were brought into Canada and what they went on to do with their lives in the country. Um, You know, John McCallum, when he was our immigration minister, He was asked a question at a Canadian Bar Association conference about uh, the distinction between economic migrants and refugees. And he made the point of saying that refugees are economic migrants. (laughs) I want to be careful about that. You know, refugees can be stigmatized here. They can be seen as taking, taking, taking. At first, they may take in order to sort of get a leg up in the country. But overall, what they're giving back to the country uh, culturally, economically, uh, Etc. cetera, is, is quite astounding, actually. Well, I would go far, and this is maybe
0: too simple of language, but I'd go as far as to say the lazy people, the takers, probably aren't going to drag a suitcase through the snow for two days or uh, climb into the boat and try to paddle their way to a new shore. Yeah. They're probably just going to stay home and continue to be lazy. I mean, that distinction is important. Yeah. Uh, subjective, but important, yeah. right, to to look in that. That's, that's so, a smart
4: thing to say. That's such a great way to put it.
0: Yeah, I so your thank you your your work, though, around the bar, and I I don't know what is confidential around the bar. But as you have seen this, I mean, working as a Canadian, uh, respectful of the law and justice and all the pieces of the, the puzzle that makes Canada, Canada, does that allow you the ability to go to some young lawyers or people who, you know, come through your system and say, you know, with really a clarity and saying, do you realize we've got it good here? I mean, maybe again, overly simplistic, when they're looking at the law, especially when you see these people constantly in your day-to day practice that are rolling through and, yeah, first world problems, if you will, as the internet would say, that you get some pretty good clear eyes on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I mean, you know for for our firm, we're a full service firm. We deal with every category of immigrant, including the refugee category for sure. Um, that's where my heart and my passion lies in the work with refugees and my work at the federal court with regard to refugee matters. Um, you know, at the at the end of the day, uh, Canada signed in the 1950s the United Nations Convention on the Protection of Refugees. We were one of the signatories. And so we made a commitment on the world stage to take in refugees, uh, take in asylum seekers, taken immigrants. Uh, That's what we committed to. That's what we've done. I think pretty much that Canadians overwhelmingly coast to coast to coast, I think in whatever region of the country you go, there is still a very strong level of support for immigrants and for refugees. Um, and I think right now, uh, you know, dragging your suitcase across the border, risking your life in a, in a, a dingy rowboat across Thousand Islands into Ontario, um, the other any of the other inherent risks that you take trying to get to Canada, there are inherent risks just being a refugee inside Canada. You've arrived, you've claimed there's a, there's a massive housing shortage now in downtown Toronto, there are hundreds of refugees living in tents on yeah. the streets. Right outside is, the building, right? Yeah, because there isn't sufficient housing for them. This has gone on in mm-hmm. Montreal as well. I'm not so sure about the West, what's going on in Calgary and Vancouver, et cetera? But there, the risks to refugee claimants are inherent across the board. it takes years and years and years if you're determined to be a convention refugee it takes years and years and years to build up your life in canada uh, to the point that you can sort of exhale Mm. yeah i mean
0: think about when we who are employed and canadians move to a new house and by the time you get your home sort of set up to the point where it feels like it's home you know that can take months so imagine from nothing um, not even knowing where you are absolutely i've been reminded of this quite a bit we've had a few guests on the shift here whether they're students that have had uh, some student visa status from ukraine um, you know things like that that have gone on it's been some amazing stories and when i was in ireland a year ago i we drove by we were out on the west side of ireland and um, we drove by this hotel it was not a fancy hotel it was old but it was cute and it wasn't huge but it was a good size and it was right on the water and there was no cars in the parking lot there was just a bus and it said closed for refugees no closed for ukrainians it said and um and it was one of those places when they brought Um, refugees over to Ireland that they just kind of gobbled up a hotel, right? That's the way the government was doing it there. And they had some ships, they had other things they were doing. But it was fascinating to see that. And that was where I think in Calgary, where I am, it, you know, it's such a big city. We don't really see that we're somewhat insulated in our little suburbs. We don't actually get to see where the people are, but at the same time, there was the first time that I saw it. I, I really saw it and it made me feel pretty great as a Canadian to go, okay, so that's what ireland's doing canada brings these people whether it was the syrians um from a couple of years ago ukrainians now and all that that's the cool part to me about being a canadian there's an awful lot of conversation we can have about how many immigrants we're trying to bring in housing and uh health and all of that because that seems wildly out of balance but we can save that for another day yeah um but it is quite impressive when when we're able to look at that and it's not new as you mentioned in the beginning the you know, the Olympic athletes or the Commonwealth Games or whatever the the I need to get out of political persecution in my country. I mean, th- this is not a new problem. Are we getting any better at it?
4: Uh, um, are we getting any better at it? Yeah, we're getting better at it. Uh, you know, uh, you, you you touched on the elephant in the room. Um, I think the past year um, with the influx, with the numbers, uh, with the Ukrainian uh, immigrants that have come in on the on the temporary work permits, uh we've we've hit a snag. Uh, there's no question that we've hit a snag. We are housing refugee claimants in hotels. Um there are refugee claimants in Quebec and Montreal that are being put onto buses. They're not being told where they're going and they're being driven to Halifax to a hotel because there's hotel hotel space in Nova Scotia. Families are being separated um, as a result of that as well. So uh, you know, we're one of the wealthiest countries on the globe. Um, and we have a very sturdy refugee determination system. Uh, it is bogged down in backlogs and delays like crazy, and I think we can do better. Uh, I really do. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not sure how much of a politicized issue it is. Uh, it'll be for whichever federal government in the coming years grapples with the refugee numbers. You know, the reality is, if you compare us to the UK, Germany, United States, Australia, our numbers are low in terms of refugee intake. They're quite low. They should be actually quite manageable. Uh, You shouldn't have refugee claimants living on the streets of Toronto in tents and in Montreal. So that's tied into the issue of overall housing as well. Um, But I think it's fair to say that we could do a heck of a lot better.
0: Well, thank you for bringing that up that part, because I think that in this housing conversation, it's been that That ugly piece that nobody wants to talk about, right? Talk about it. Inflation, whatever, cost of living, all those things. That's really nice to blame on COVID or whatever you want to blame it on. But the reality is, is it's bad management when we're bringing a half million or a million people and we don't have houses for them, and then we wonder why our houses are getting more expensive. I mean, that's just bad political management. Blame that on all the parties because it's not new. So um, it, it is. It's quite amazing when we take that lens they um, sure. so incredibly of course. important. Of uh, course it is. I, I would. Yeah. Um, and not to be forgotten here. Okay. So uh, immigrants coming to Canada. What about, what about the folks that they started the process 10 years ago, they were at home. They might've been professionals. They paid the money. They did it all above board. If you will, they, you know, they flew in their documents were ready. All the money was there. The things they needed to have secured employment, maybe a new business, whatever those people I have a, just this immense respect for, but I also, um, feel very empathetic to those people that took their time and did it the right way. They did it all by the book, if you mean, if you will. Um, they seem to pay a bit of a different price in all this because we don't talk about that guy or that that lady or that family that did it all properly. They just moved here. Paperwork was done. They had their place pre-rented they or purchased and they did that. And then there's all these exceptions here and there for all these other people to take shortcuts. And I do, I know that shortcut is an unfair word, yeah. but it's the only word I could come up with.
4: Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, it, it, it's a bit of an unfair word. Probably what I say is you're really talking apples and oranges. So, you know, look, immigrant, immigration, immigrating is not easy. Uh, whether you're an economic migrant, you're a family class sponsor, you're coming on a study permit and you're eligible for permanent residence. It's not an easy process. However, it is just not correct to start comparing economic migrants, family class sponsors, study permits, et cetera, et cetera, to the refugee asylum category is apples and oranges. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, when Jason Kenney was minister, and we've had loads of ministers and we've had loads of immigration ministers, you know, uh, making unfair comments. So, again, it's it's across all political parties. Uh, but he would use language such as Q-jumpers and and bogus yeah. claimants, uh, which was very dangerous. Are there Q-jumpers? Sure. Are there bogus refugee claims? Of course there are. Yeah. Well, jerks will be
0: jerks. It doesn't matter. Jerks they're they're just going to be a jerk. Exactly. That's what they're going to be.
4: But yeah. it's not a perfect science. We are a signatory to the convention. We are bringing in refugee claimants. They're not getting their status quicker than anybody anybody else in another category, and so it's just it's 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 not a fair comparison. Put it that way.
0: I love that. That's great. Thanks for clarifying. I I, I have a friend who is married in Canada, uh, and just got her Canadian um, citizenship just this spring. Huh? And ironically, it might have been by alphabet. It, who knows? But her brother <laughs> did at the same time, different group, but the same time. And hearing firsthand um, from my friend. Who has been on? The, I brought her on to talk about it around Canada Day, and um, the glory that she feels in her heart from um, from that day. From I mean, she's got kids now. She's yeah, like, sure. she's been here for a while. Yeah. But even after all that, um, the magic of her very first Canada Day, being a Canadian, yeah, um, is a is a pretty great thing. And I, I want I say that not out of any pontification uh, attempt, but more so the gratitude that we all maybe need to reflect back. Uh, on our brothers and sisters in this country to realize that you know it's a pretty great thing
4: yes absolutely it is of course it is Mm,
0: i love that uh thank you for being so generous with your time today i think this is really helpful for us to hear thanks for having me this is the shift podcast thanks for being here part of the 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 fish (laughs) the shift my brain um, and this feels weird. It's the, it's a weird, I don't ever introduce fish after like three years after that. It's always, so it's totally, this is, I'm kind of messed up and it's not really the world of weird things right now, but because fish's brain is quite weird, we should probably do the world of weird things. Do you have that Jono there? Yeah, let's do get, get it. Yeah. Weird. It got very weird. I don't understand. Welcome to the world of weird, weird. things with Greg Fish. Well, it is and it isn't the World of Weird Things, um, but I can tell you this, the World of Weird Things is coming back to your radio. He took a little break, changed some things, uh, turned on his um, uh, science, computer science geekery brain, and uh, flipped a bunch of stuff around. And there's basically a whole new package that he's got for you that we will start to share. We will um, we're going to have fish on on some Sundays here leading up to the end of summertime. And then we'll be back on the regular time slot come September. So if you are familiar with the shift and this is not news, new news to you, Hank, the hacker is going to be staying with us as well come the fall. So we've end up having a, another family member. So out of all this, which is really nice. So, hey, fish, welcome back, buddy. Good to be back. How's that feel? Hey, eh? well, four weeks off, you look so rested.
3: Well, it, it feels great. and But I got to tell you, uh, I, I wanted to take a little bit of time. Like you said, I wanted to rearrange some things. I wanted mm-hmm. to have like a full project. I wanted to have like a full, you know, come at you with the full plan, everything like exactly figured out the way that I want to do it. But then somebody at the University of Ottawa had to write a paper. And I was like, okay, no, I can't let this pass. This 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 has to be corrected. I have to say something. You know, someone is wrong on the Internet. And by God, I'm not going to let that slide.
0: Right. Um, A guardian of the truth on the Internet, even though it's awfully strange. Okay. So uh, we will share the link to this story on shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. What are we talking
3: about, Fish? So we are talking about a paper that um has been that now that paper should have technically vanished into obscurity but uh because of Joe Rogan and Elon Musk it didn't um and so there's a paper going around that is claiming that the universe is twice as old as we think it is
0: okay that um i'm not quite sure how we know that how do we know that or not know that
3: so so Let's let's talk for a second about how we know the edge of the universe. How do we estimate the edge of the universe? Okay. Well, the way that we do that is we weigh the universe. We weigh it. Yes, we weigh it. We wow. have.
0: That would mean yeah. I'm overaged. <laughs>
3: uh, well, you know that it's it's not so much the weighing; it's how the weight affects the space and time and the flow of time. So we essentially try and figure out what is the universe made of. How much okay. does it weigh? Mm-hmm. And then we want to compare it to the cosmic microwave background radiation and try and extrapolate. Hey, how well does this actually match? So if we say, okay, the universe had a beginning, and we know this by the little variations in the aftershock of the Big Bang, which is what the cosmic microwave background radiation is, or CMBR for short. That's yeah. that's what that's what its friends call it. CMBR. I was-
0: I was walking today, and I was like, you know, I want to know what my background cosmication factor is. Definitely. Anyway, I'm with
3: you. Well, yeah. So, I, it probably in the grand scheme of things, quite small. So, I mean, compared to the universe, you're very, very young. So, okay, okay, good. So you can you can but feel good about that. Has a good um, personality, though. Yeah. So as we so as we compare that that as we compare those variations and as we look at the brightness of different things, which is how we determine the distance, we kinda can plot out the movement of the stars and the galaxies, and based on that movement, based on how on the gravitational lensing, on everything else, we can add all of that up and we can say, Okay, it would take just under thirteen point eight billion years to achieve the current state of the universe that we see now, given everything we know. Now, is that date set in stone? No, it's not. It's based on our best possible understanding of how the universe moves and and what the universe is made of. So why does someone look at it and say, oh, it's got to be at least 26.7 billion years old. And the answer to that actually comes from taking some old ideas and applying them in the way that they were never actually supposed to be applied. Okay. Old ideas. Yes. Okay. So you have to understand that if we rewind the clock back a hundred years ago, astronomers are pretty sure that the universe is eternal and static where we are, where we are. And we've been that way for trillions of years for forever, literally. And it was a bit of a revelation when Hubble, the astronomer, figured out that, oh, wait, stuff is moving away from us. And we can tell by the fact that all the galaxies are redshifted. So when things move away from us by the Doppler effect, they have a reddish tint. If they move closer to us, they have a bluish tint. So if he started measuring the redshift factor or the blueshift factor, of the galaxies around us and all of them were blue then oh god everything is coming towards us these is imploding we're all going to die a horrible death um but ne- but he saw everything is redshift that everything is moving away from us it's moving away from us in proportion to the distance from us galaxies expanding we're all going to die a horrible death but it will be much more it, we're gonna get frozen to death not crunched in so just a little happy existential crisis, in case you missed that. But it's great to you really back, s- by the way, because I, <laughs> you know, I
0: was not having any nightmares for the last few weeks, but apparently that's going to change.
3: <clears throat> yeah, I'm. I'm. Well, I, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta be me, right, and bring, bring a little bit of that uh, Gregfish existential doom TM with me. So. Again, this doesn't sit very well with astronomers who basically say, well, what else could explain this? Because we have to kind of rework our entire model of the universe. So comes in here comes in an astronomer named Franz Wicke, and he says, hold on. What if light hits things on its way as it's traveling through the universe, and it deflects a lot, and it interacts with electromagnetic fields, it, re- it interacts with matter a lot more than we think it does... And it gets tired. You know, at, at, by the time that it gets to Earth, it needs its sleepy time tea. Like, it's just, it's absolutely <laughs> exhausted. So okay. everything looks a lot redder than it should because we're having a lot less light coming to us. So that would explain it. And th- at the same time, you had Paul Dirac, the physicist, saying, okay, um, here's another idea. What if the different forces that hold the matter together change over time so if we account for that then the universe might look like it's expanding like it ha- like it's finite like it's moving away from us like things are expanding but in reality we are just looking at different laws of physics that have just evolved over billions of years and what this paper does is it applies those two theories and says okay if we apply those two theories then we can say that the universe is at least twenty six point seven billion years old, and we just have been counting things wrong because light moves differently than we think it does, and the the laws of physics have changed over billions of years. Sound sound reasonable so far?
0: I, I don't know if "reasonable" is the word, but
3: I'm following you. Good, perfect. Because this is where it breaks down. Because both Zwicky and Dirac just had these ideas. They weren't committed to them. They basically they basically voiced them out and say, okay, just to play devil's advocate for the static universe. These are the things that we could use to explain what we're seeing. And then both of them went, oh, no, never mind, never mind, never mind. It actually won- is not going to work. Zwicky plugged in his numbers and he realized, oh... Then the entire universe would be blurry. It would be like we're all nearsighted, and we wouldn't be able to see gravitational lensing. We wouldn't be able to see things as far away as they are. The, all of our parallax calculations would be all wrong. We'd have to like redo all of physics that we know and understand. So you know what? Never mind. I, it was just so blurry an idea.
0: because light slowing down and all those things. Like we wouldn't be able to see things clearly because like time wouldn't be consistent. Kind of scenario is that what really
3: kind of thing it, it's about? more. Or it's more just. Yeah, light wouldn't be consistent. So we wouldn't be able to focus in on things that we can actually focus in and see very, very clearly with even our instruments 100 years ago. And today, you know, with with James Webb, we can see absolutely incredible things that are in very good focus for how far away they are and how long ago they existed. So if tired light was actually a thing, the James Webb Space Telescope wouldn't work and Hubble the telescope also wouldn't have worked. Right. It would just be it would just be like trying to look through water or you know, in my case if I take off my glasses how I see the world. Right. Okay at the same time the coupling constants we actually have proved that that is not real at all and again dirac was just 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 is like i'm just throwing this idea out there we need to prove this out this is just this is just a thought that i had don't don't put too much into it but we've actually have tested that theory and believe it or not we used alcohol for that oh very good then i'm not- a scientist Oh, so sorry. so not not drinkable alcohol I, I'm ah, sorry to say it, it, it's methyl alcohol. There's a gigantic cloud of methyl alcohol about seven Boo. billion light years away. yeah, I know you couldn't drink it but because we understand those molecules very well and the light that's that's coming from them and we can analyze the spectrum and then we can look at the at the energy of the different subatomic forces holding them together based on that spectrum. And we found that 7 billion years ago, the laws of nuclear physics, the strong force and the weak force that that holds atoms together and matter as we know it, was exactly the same. Okay. So that means, yes, it's possible that laws of physics change, but they would change on the order of 10 to the power of 33 years. So. The longest, like the universe at that point, would essentially be frozen over until the laws of physics change. So, if it doesn't change in 7 billion years, it's not going to change in 13. It's not going to change in 20. Like I said, it it would take quintillions of, of quintillions of quintillions of quintillions of quintillions of years for us to notice any real difference. Things like proton decay, all of these things that have been postulated, they would happen after the universe is is essentially long dead and gone as we understand Oof. it. Positive. Yeah, again. Well, yeah, it, it's positive for us in the sense that these things don't so these things don't are not actually influencing the universe. That we don't actually they don't actually exist. We know that they don't exist. And so that kind of raises the question of why was this paper even written? Because it's taking these, these things that we know, well, that they're they're not real. They're not possible. And the answer to that is probably this is a lot of times, physicists will write these kind of toy papers and exercises just to see, hey, if we do this, this is what happens. If we do that, right. this is what happens. And you come up with all these toy models of the universe, and then you start looking through them and saying, hey, does any of these combinations have an explanation for some of the weird phenomena that we see? In this particular case, uh, the author was motivated by something known as Methuselah stars. And Methuselah stars are supposed to be the oldest stars, in the universe, and funny enough, the you, the oldest star that we know of in the universe is only 190 light years away. It's basically within reach in on a cosmic scale. Okay, um, We're not really sure how it got so close to us, but for a while, scientists thought that it was l- older than the purported age of the universe. And they got that by scanning the star and saying, okay, this actually looks like it's way too old to, to even exist. But those particular scans had a huge degree of variation. Like they, they, weren't, they weren't exact at all. So seeing that, they went back and they, they looked at they measured it, the distance much more precisely. Um, mm-hmm. because oddly enough, the closer things are to us, the harder it is for us to really see them and resolve them because it just they're, they're, they're right up there. So mm-hmm. we moved back a little bit. We used Hubble, again, the telescope, to try mm-hmm. and figure out how far away it really is. I then measured the hydrogen line uh, the, sorry the oxygen line how how much it has already fused how much metallicity it had everything and the estimate that was narrowed down over over a little over a decade is that it's actually 12.2 billion years old it's ancient it's remarkable it's kind of amazing that it's so close and we can study like these first generations of stars right in our backyard but it's not yeah. older than the universe and right. the other thing that the author was concerned about was that the first galaxies that have been seen by James Webb just recently seem to be a little bit too heavy and a little too mature for his taste. So technically like these, these universe, these, uh, in the universe, galaxies have been growing up a little bit too quickly. All right. Why is that? Well, we don't quite know that, but interestingly enough, you remember we talked about black hole suns mm-hmm. and the go. idea that there's these gigantic stars that basically housed black holes inside of them and created had a shortcut to create supermassive black holes that could create entire galaxies very quickly. Yeah. Well, it's possible that hub that um, I keep saying Hubble because that's the telescope, but no, it's actually Webb. Webb just recently may have seen them. Like legit. Like legit. So it may have actually confirmed the theory that there's these enormous stars in a very dense universe, that when they die, they essentially house giant black holes inside of them have been force feeding them for millions of years. And then you have these supermassive black holes that very quickly organize a galaxy. And that's why these galaxies look so oddly mature, because they basically got a head start.
0: Okay, so, but is it, they're, they're saying that it was older, but it's actually younger? So, I mean, this is the only part, because there's a lot of numbers there for a sec, so I want to clarify that part. So, 30 billion is sort of the number that gets tossed about, and if it's, is it, are you talking that it's evident, evidentiary, that it's 12, or it's, they're trying to say it's 60?
3: So, for the Methuselah star, we know that supposedly it was it was older than 13.8 billion years, but we know but we thought that because we didn't have a really good images of it we didn't have really good data on it and there was a lot of uncertainty in those estimates so those estimates went back we went back on those estimates and said okay let's not let's actually narrow down the age let's really invest a lot of time and effort and observation into this and really narrow down the age of this thing because if we found that it violates the laws of physics as we know them there's a Nobel prize and a million bucks in it for us. So we, we want to make sure. And as they started to make sure they realized, Oh, it's actually 12.2 billion years old. It is younger than the universe. And all of this actually makes, makes sense. And in terms of galaxies, we still don't know. There's some, there seems to be some evidence that, Hey, you know, there's a shortcut to making galaxies at the very beginning of the universe, but we don't know very much about the evolution of galaxies yet so to say oh these galaxies are too mature and it should have taken them this long to be what they are right now at the dawn of the universe we don't know that like yeah. there's no like we don't know what galaxies are supposed to look like 500 to 800 million years after the Big Bang is and and we we have some ideas and we seem to have some proof of those ideas so let's not jump the gun here.
0: Yeah, but well, I have again, a question, a question with that though. That I, so, isn't this stuff supposed to be peer reviewed?
3: Well, it's supposed to be peer reviewed, but this paper was just a preprint, oh. for and that's when got that's when it got the the notoriety, and then eventually it was published and it was peer reviewed because the thought was okay. Well, this is kind of interesting because the the thing about peer review is that sometimes. Peer review will let it slide in in terms of like, this is an interesting paper. These are some interesting things to consider. Mm -hmm. But peer review in itself is not necessarily an arbiter of like, yeah, this is the best paper ever. It's just more like this person actually genuinely tried to do something interesting. Right.
0: I don't know. It just like, it's so hard. I mean, some of it seems so wild. And if we don't understand all the bits and pieces behind it, but at the same time, these people are just saying stuff. I mean, because you said, what about the possibility is this? I mean, I could say to the government, how about the possibility that I don't pay taxes anymore? And now all of a sudden people take that seriously. I mean, that's kind of, it's it's sort of amazing to think that that's recklessness is kind of there, isn't it?
3: Well, it is and it isn't because the, the audience for this is other physicists and other experts. And it's supposed to start a conversation and say, do we really understand how the universe works? Because again, if you can prove that, you understand phys- that physics are actually different, and you can prove this. Mm-hmm. There's a Nobel Prize and a million bucks in it for you. So there's yeah, there's so. a lot of incentive. There's a lot of incentive to challenge our model of the universe, which is known as the Lambda CDM model. So okay. the lambda CDM model is con- is under constant assault from peer reviewed papers, and it happens all the time. And the problem with right. a lot of these papers is that they focus on these exceptions, which we aren't really sure are exceptions, and these edge cases that we're still kind of studying, and tries to explain them with different laws of physics, different ideas, um, different uh, measurements, different math, and then it when we and then when we reassemble them and we say, okay, well, how does this explain the rest of the universe? of the time it creates anomalies out of things we understand extremely well so this is why a lot of these papers fail to really go anywhere and make an impact because unless they can explain everything that we see in our universe without any problems issues concerns creating new paradoxes or anomalies and the new stuff they're not they're not really worth it they're just Mm -hmm. exercises in do we really understand this thing that I've been kind of fascinated by.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is, it is fascinating to look. And I, I mean, I, I don't understand the science stuff, but at the same time, it sure makes me sure makes me wonder, um, how it is that people can just say this stuff and then it off it goes, I guess. But I guess that's the internet today. Uh, journalistic standards don't matter. Um, fascinating. Welcome back, buddy. Um, it, the World Weird Things on Substack is going to be available for you to link for you at shiftheads.ca and the Facebook group so you can learn more about this article and all of the weird things. Fish will be back on Sunday and for the next bunch of Sundays with the exception of the long weekend until the fall and um, and then he's back. He's back. Welcome back. Thank you very much.